There are so many resources on campus to help students. It's students realizing that they're there and how to access them. And that's something that we do a lot of work with in OAS is making sure that students know what resources are available to them, what they can do to help, um, and ways to access them. You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Please note, CWC Talks is not a substitute for counseling and may be sensitive for people who have experienced trauma. All guests' views are their own and do not speak for the CWC, the University of Florida, or the mental health profession as a whole. This is Chelsea. And this is Olivia. And this is the CWC Talks podcast. Today, we're talking to Katie Usri. She is one of our CWC AWARE ambassadors, and we are talking about first-gen students. Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Olivia. Hi, everybody. My name is Katie Usri. I am a third-year psychology major of the concentration in behavioral and cognitive neuroscience with minors in classical studies, anthropology, and health disparities in society. It's nice to meet y'all. Nice to have you here. Can you talk to us a little bit about, I know, so you're here as a first-generation student at UF, and I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what it means to be a first-generation student. Yeah, so uh, on paper, uh, a first-generation student is any student who comes to college and their parents have not received a bachelor's degree. Um, Their parents could have either, a lot of people are normally Uh, first-generation immigrants. That's uh, a big population of first-generation students. It could be that both of your parents happened to drop out of school or just went different paths. Um, So a lot of people end up becoming a first-generation student and not realizing it. Um, Like I didn't realize I was a first-generation student until I was filling out my applications to university. And they were like, oh, by the way, you're a first-generation student. I was like, wow, I have no idea what that means, but thank you. So Uh, but it's really an identity. Um, There's a lot of pride in being a first-generation student because not only does it come with some extra barriers or uh, kind of struggles, it also comes with this fantastic community of people who understand where you're coming from and are trying to lift each other up, um, whether it be fellow peers, alumni, faculty members, staff members, there are a lot of people who understand the importance of first-generation students and helping first-generation students be successful because uh, a lot of the times a little extra support or resources goes a long way. And so it's kind of what first-generation, being a first-generation student means is uh, it comes in with this fantastic built-in community that uh, the, especially in, in academia in general is very uh, focused on and is held as a point of pride. So tell me how you first got connected to some of that community. Yeah, so for UF in specific, our Office of Academic Support has several programs for first-generation students. Um, The program that I'm in is actually a national program. It's called TRIO, um, and TRIO has several uh, programs uh, like housed within it. So I'm in student success services. 
Um, so that's what we call it here at UF. And it's a program for students who have financial need, are first generation, or have a documented disability. And what it is, is it's workshops, it's uh, resources, like you can check out technology, there's study spaces, um, there's academic success coaches that are there to kind of help you along your journey. Um, but there's also like, they give out GRE waivers, they give out GRE prep books or, you know, uh, professional school prep books. And they help students to kind of prepare not only to be successful here at UF, but also to be successful for the next step, uh, whether that be the workforce or graduate school. And uh, I got connected with it because I actually got an email saying, hey, please apply for this program. And it was one of, it was actually the first thing that I joined when I got to UF because I was a summer B admin. And so not a lot goes on during this summer uh, extracurricular wise. And so it was really great to have that time to focus on the program and get to meet uh, other first generation students. That's so helpful to have that sense of community and like other people that can kind of understand a little bit what you're going through. Yes, definitely. Um, one thing that a lot of people don't realize um, about first generation students is it can be really difficult with uh, things like college jargon or uh, acronyms that are unique to academia um, and the like cultural like norms of college. Um, it can be really difficult to figure it out because most people have their parents who went to college or even went to the exact same university. And so they know the ins and outs and they know what to tell their student for what's going to be the best path. And for first generation students, we don't have that resource. Often you're figuring it out on your own or you're trying to find the right person to ask because, well, you can't ask your parents. So you either have to find somebody that you trust or just hope that you can figure it out by yourself, which can be very daunting and kind of uh, hard to navigate. And so having other people who understand what you're going through, there really isn't a way to kind of uh, like substitute that. And so having people there who understand and can even tell you, this is what I did, or this is how I made it through, um, can be, it's vital to first generation success. Is there someone from, since you started um, with TRIO very early on, is there someone uh, from your freshman year who kind of helped you navigate that, whether it was a fellow student or a staff member? Yeah, so a little bit of both. Um, my uh, previous staffer, which is what we call our orientation here at UF, she was also a first-generation student, and we are good friends to this day, which is three years later now, and she was a fantastic resource in helping me, especially when at orientation, you're pretty much expected in two days to be able to figure out what classes you want and sign up for them. And so I was lucky that I went through the state college system. So I had some experience with the college experience, like what a course code is, uh, how I sign up for classes because the course code doesn't always equal the section. Uh, and so understanding that piece, I luckily 
I understood and I was already kind of set up for success in that sense. And so I understood that, but there were other things about college that I had no idea about. Like I didn't know what the bursar was. I I kept hearing the term and everybody kept talking about it. And I was like, I'm just going to sit here and hope that somebody explains it at some point, (laughs) not realizing that half of the people who are sitting in the orientation were thinking the same thing that I was. Mm -hmm. And so it was definitely, she created that kind of open and inviting space that I felt comfortable asking her questions about different things that people sometimes don't even think would be a question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it's like you don't know even what to ask because you don't know enough about it. And then that kind of just leaves you feeling just stuck and confused because it's like learning a whole new language. And um, it feels like everyone can speak the same language except for you. Yeah, definitely. And that's kind of where community comes into play. And mm-hmm. there are some fa- fantastic uh, staff members at uh OAS, which is what we call the Office of Academic Support. Um, he has since uh, he's left. Uh, he's actually at a school in North Carolina now. But uh, Dr. DeKendrick Murray was uh, the first person that I met through OAS, and he was a fantastic staff member. And he, one of the emphasis of the program at the beginning was, you know, here's what you do to here are the basics. Here's how to meet with an advisor. Here's what you should be asking during your advising session. What can we help you with to be successful? And sometimes it definitely is asking the right questions. Because for me, the right questions weren't always academic questions. A lot of the times they were social questions. They were questions about my mental health and well-being. They were questions about things that when we're discussing university and college, people don't think about. Um, And so it was definitely between the staff members at OAS and some of the upperclassmen I also met along the way, it was definitely them asking the right questions that really helped me and not putting me in the box of, oh, well, they're doing fine academically, so there's nothing else that we need to do here. Um, And that could be really helpful for any student, but especially for me, it was very helpful because I didn't know where to start with those questions mm-hmm. because I, I didn't know that those kind of resources, the resources I really needed were even available to me. So it sounds like it was a really holistic approach in a sense, you know, covering all of the needs that you have in your life, not just the academic, but also the other needs that um, sometimes it's hard to adjust to like, socially and mental health wise and things like that. And, you know, the two people that you talked about as well as others, it also sounds like they, they kind of gave you a really nice template as to how you can then help, you know, incoming freshmen and incoming first gen students with those same, with those same issues. Oh, definitely. And it's definitely something that is a point of pride in OAS in general. We have several programs, not just TRIO. And in every program, we emphasize uh, we have four main pillars. And one of them is wellness. One of them is financial literacy. 
One of them is academics. And so the holistic approach is really what we recognize as being needed. Um, and so it's definitely something that I've brought with me to almost every position I've led. Um, and I'm very lucky this year to actually be serving as a peer leader for incoming first generation students um, with the Office of Academic Support. And so I've tried to pass down some of the wisdom that I've received to uh, my students and kind of really making sure that I'm making sure that not just the academic, but everything is kind of being taken care of and uh, cultivated to be where it needs to be. And also helping to define that, that college language and, you know, the jargon, you know, that you find here. And I'm thinking too, like, as you're learning this, this new academic language and how has that impacted your conversations with your parents? Because while you're learning all of this, I would imagine your parents are learning these, um, this language too. Yes. And that is something that I've seen. Uh, first generation students normally go one of two ways. Um, they either end up becoming experts in the academic field and explaining what a course code is, what the course is, what you need to graduate, because they, for them to feel comfortable, they need to know it inside and out. Because if they don't real, like know it inside and out, how are they going to be able to explain it to somebody else? Um, it's kind of that phrase, uh, the best way to learn something is to teach something. So mm -hmm. a lot of the times students will become experts or they will feel so frustrated and just give up completely telling their parents what's happening. They'll, they'll give the bare minimum and they'll say, this is what's happening. I'm fine. Don't worry about it. I'm doing well. Um, and for some people that works for some people, that is the best option. Um, but it's definitely a balance. And I feel like giving students the empowerment of feeling like they understand the educational piece well enough um, helps them to feel in position and in control of what they're doing. Um, because it can be really difficult when you're trying to explain, explain something to your parents and they just do not understand. And it can be really frustrating and isolating as well, mm -hmm. um, especially if um, you're very close with your parents and they're your support system. Uh, that can make things incredibly difficult because your parents aren't even close to understanding why you may be upset about something or frustrated. Um, and it can cause conflict uh, within your family as well, which is the last thing that you need when you're trying to juggle a million things and transitioning to college at the same time. Right. Yeah. And I, I can imagine too, like if you are wanting to go down maybe a certain major or a certain career path that maybe your parents aren't familiar with and like don't necessarily understand like why you want to do this really seemingly niche job and like will that get you a paycheck when you graduate and having to explain like I'm gonna be okay this is like what I'm doing and this is why I'm doing it is you know can be really challenging yes um so uh bringing out I was actually a previous author myself and one of the first things we learn is uh, about 60% of students who come into UF come in pre-med and I think it's and the highest major that people enroll with is biology 
well, about 20 people end up graduating pre-med. And there are two main reasons. One, people realize that this is not what they want. And they were just trying to either please their parents or thought that was the only option. Um, there's a lot of cultural things that also go into it. Um, certain cultures, uh, their parents only see like three jobs as viable options mm-hmm. um, to be successful. And so, but part of it is also speaking to students and saying, is this what you're interested in? Is this what you really want? And they realize, oh, I'm not really interested in this, or I see something better. And there are majors, like most students don't know what anthropology is coming in, or if they've heard it, they've heard very little about it. Um, And so some of these more kind of uh, majors that aren't talked about in public education, a lot of students end up transferring into them down the line because they realize they fall in love with it and they go, Oh, I really enjoy this topic. And another big thing is that a major doesn't equal your career. Um, That was some really great advice that I received uh, from Mr. Ryan Braun, uh, who's in the uh, uh, college of liberal arts and sciences. Um, I took a course with him my summer B semester and we talked about, you know, your major doesn't always equal your career and having to explain that as a first generation student, explaining that to my parents actually really helped them understand where I was coming from and why I was doing what I was doing. Those are some powerful words. And it, what you said about your major does not equal your career. And that's also so freeing I would imagine to a lot of students, it's like, okay, you know, it takes a a huge weight off, takes a lot of pressure off of them because I think a lot, I mean, students are expected to know what they're going to be majoring in almost immediately. And another thing that I tell my students, I mean, I have students that I, who were, I was a previous staffer with them and they just started their second year and they're currently freaking out. They're like, I think I want to change my major. Is it too late? And I'm like, 60% of students change their major by the end of their first year. Um, and so not only is that kind of comforting, but it's college is hard enough as it is with all of the different things that are being thrown at you at once. Having classes that you are not interested in or passionate about, you're not want to get out of bed in the morning. And so for a lot of students, especially, especially first generation students who don't realize this information coming in, they feel like they have to suffer through it because they're either trying to make it work for themselves and it just simply is not working or they're trying to please someone else because they feel as if, Their parents have sacrificed so much for them to be able to be here, which is an emotional weight that a lot of students carry. And while it is incredibly important to honor and respect all of that work that parents have put in or family units have put in, it's also important to value your own ambitions, your own goals, your own dreams, and having the knowledge that you need to be able to translate what is happening in terms that make sense to the people who have helped you get here 
is a very delicate process and kind of knowledge is power in that piece where the more you understand it yourself, the more you can comfort and uh, show your family that you are doing what you need to be successful. And just mm -hmm. because your major is something that they don't recognize, um, there's a lot of fear of the unknown. Just because it's something they don't recognize, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be happy and successful and be able to support yourself. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about another experience I've heard many first-generation students struggling with of feeling imposter syndrome. Um, and I'm curious if that's something that you've experienced or have kind of thoughts on. Yeah, um, I, oh, imposter syndrome is very real. Um, honestly, I think first-generation students feel it uh, the most, if not one of the most uh, groups that feel it uh, on a university campus because there is no precedent. You just kind of feel like you're stumbling along blindly for a while. And that can be really difficult because you're like, am I supposed to be here? Was I meant to be here? Did someone make a mistake? Um, and Mr. Chris Clan, who's a uh, He's in charge of a preview uh, or the new students family programming uh, here at UF. Uh, he said something, I think it was either at my orientation or at an admitted students day um, that he told my mom point blank. He went, uh, no student at UF wouldn't be here if they weren't meant to be here. And I think having, even if it's a complete stranger, but having somebody at UF say that to you, and be like, everyone is meant to be here uh, is very helpful. And a lot of people may not realize that, I mean, sometimes you feel like you are just improving your way through it. It's uh, like, I'm trying to figure it out as I go, flying by the seat of my pants. Like, um, and so when you feel like you don't know everything, um, it can be really difficult because, especially for first generation students, um, a lot of them, especially if they come from an immigrant family, a lot of my first-gen friends talk about, you know, if they were filling out the paperwork, they were paying the bills, they were doing things because they were the only person in the family who spoke English or understood the uh, information or their parents just did not have time to fill out all this information because they were, you know, working two or three jobs, trying to make ends meet or just trying to make sure and kind of make sure they're children were successful. And so having all of that responsibility and all of, uh, all of that information at your hands, always being in charge of everything, when you get to college, you start with a blank slate and you're pretty much trying to re-figure out this entire uh, life plan that you've had and kind of routine that you've had. And it can be very difficult. Um, and that's kind of where the imposter syndrome sets in. It's a combination of having to leave the routine that you knew, having less, it feels like you have less knowledge than everyone else, uh, especially when you're sitting there trying to figure out what's happening while the person next to you is explaining their four-year plan to th their family unit, which is something that actually happened to me at my orientation. And I was like, wow, 
I'm so behind. This girl has <laughs> her entire life figured out and I'm trying to figure out what to take for my first semester. Right. Um, <laughs> and so it's, that is definitely the, the breeder of imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. And the, the best way to combat it is to know you're not alone and to understand that even if you can't see it yourself, there are other people who believe in you and if they didn't believe in you, you wouldn't be here. Um, but it's incredibly difficult to kind of work through that. And it takes a lot of personal skills, especially uh, emotional skills, um, that sometimes students just have never had to use or are not familiar with. And so that's when imposter syndrome becomes a real issue. Can you tell us a little bit more about those emotional skills? Yeah, definitely. Um, So it comes, uh, some of it is as simple as time management. Um, Like if you feel like you can't handle what you're going through um, because you've never been taught or you don't understand uh, how different university is going to be to high school, um, you can feel like you're drowning, even though you would be capable of doing the work. It's just you don't have the right skill set to kind of make your schedule work, make sure that you're giving your time to the right things. Um, it can be stress management as well, um, kind of learning how to handle the different pieces of stress. It can be working on self-esteem and kind of having to dig into those root causes of what is really kind of manifesting this imposter syndrome and digging that deep can cause um, a lot of students don't haven't gone there before they haven't needed to or they didn't realize that it was an issue Um, I mean a lot of people will talk about a lot of people that I know first generation or not will talk about they had issues that they had in high school that weren't really a problem for them and then once they got to university they were like, oh, this is becoming a serious issue that I need to address. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that can be a lot on even the student who feels the most prepared. So when you're, you know, mixing too many things in one pot, the pot's going to boil over. And so imposter syndrome can also be an umbrella term for something that they may not realize is mm-hmm. actually being caused by something else. And so I feel like, especially for first-generation students, imposter syndrome and the recognition that it's received, um, which it needs to, I love the fact that it's becoming common term, common knowledge, something that uh, more and more people are acknowledging as something that needs to be addressed. Um, I feel like it can also kind of cover some other issues that people may not realize they're having with their mental health or their emotional health. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes we don't really take the time to like self-reflect and really understand what's happening and until you're, you know, have, sometimes you have more space for that once we get to college and we're forced into situations where we have to rely on ourselves a lot more than in high school. Um, I know at the CWC, we have workshops um, throughout the semesters that help students deal with 
imposter syndrome. Um, there are some spaces for first gen students to come and discuss um, any concerns they might be having. What are some other, uh, and you mentioned OAS, what are some other resources on campus that can help students um, adjust to college, adjust to adjust to everything? Yeah, um, I think that's the, the million dollar question is there are so many resources on campus to help students. It's students realizing that they're there and how to access them. And that's something that we do a lot of work with in OAS is making sure that students know what resources are available to them, what they can do to help um, and ways to access them. Um, so like for me uh, personally, um, I'm trying to think. It's like uh, the CWC was really my rock in terms of resources when I first got to campus. And so I'm trying to think about what my other friends needed in their personal lives uh, because everybody's going to need different things. Uh, so the DRC or the Disability Resource Center um, is very helpful because sometimes students don't realize that what they're going through can be classified as a disability. Um, mm -hmm. And it kind of comes with that knowledge factor of if you grew up in a culture or in a household where mental health or even physical health wasn't, couldn't be addressed, wasn't allowed to be addressed, um, it can create some issues where you get to campus and you're like, oh, I didn't realize that what I was going through wasn't normal for everyone else. Mm -hmm. um, the Career Connection Center is another one, the C3, um, just to help students. Um, people don't realize how, like, right off the bat, once you get to university, a lot of the times you're dealing with interviews, you have to have a resume ready, you have to be able to write a cover letter, um, you need professional clothes for a symposium or different things. And all of that is accessible through uh, the C3. And it's something that people uh, sometimes don't realize is there or wouldn't think to be like, oh, I should definitely, you know, do this. Um, another thing was that uh, the bus system, learning the bus system. Uh, I can't tell you how many of my students, um, I have 13 uh, in my caseload and over half were like, I'm scared to use the bus. I have no idea how the bus system works. Um, and so like telling them, oh, there's an app for that. Let me show you how to use it um, and let me know if you need help. Um, and so it's different uh, pieces like that. Uh, that really do kind of, it's things that you wouldn't always think about. Um, mm -hmm. uh, another one is the Field and Fork Food Pantry on campus. Um, it's a lot of times students don't realize that it's there and that anybody can take from it. Um, it doesn't matter um, how you feel personally. You're like, if you feel, oh, I'm not food insecure enough, or I don't, feel like this is for me it's there for everyone and part of the way that they've structured the field and fork pantry is to help break the stigma of people who need to come in and uh take food um because it's meant to be a resource um it's something that 
you're supporting through your university dollars. So um, kind of emphasizing that it is there for everyone. Um, and I think it's just uh, teaching people that it's okay to reach out for help. Um, a lot of first-generation students are fiercely independent. Um, it's a common trait I've seen, um, myself included. Um, <laughs> you feel as if, well, I've gotten this far doing everything by myself, so I'm going <laughs> to keep doing that. And it honestly, you kind of have to break that cycle. And that's incredibly difficult when it has been ingrained in your life. Um, I know for me, it's been ingrained in my life almost my entire life. And so kind of that is the good, let's lay the foundation of it's okay to ask for help. And then working through the different resources that may be the best for each individual person. What do you think makes it hard for you or maybe other first generation students to ask for help? Um, I think the big thing for me, it was, I knew I had to figure everything out on my own. Um, I didn't want to create additional stress or um, more issues for my parents and my family unit who are already going through enough as it was. And so it was just easier for me to, you know, fill out all of my forms, fill out all of my applications by myself, do this and that. And, you know, got to take care of my sister's forms. Let's do this for my sister. Let's do this and that. And so for me, it was just kind of, I grew up knowing that it was just, I didn't want to create additional stress. And so um, it can cause this issue of, even though it could be unintentional um, on the side of um, someone's family unit, but I didn't want to feel like a burden because I knew that they were already going through so much. And so it can become a bit of an issue when you get to university and you're like, oh, well, I don't want to make anyone, I don't want to be a burden or I don't want to create additional stress on someone else. Um, I should be able to deal with my problems. And it's a very unhealthy mindset that I've spent a lot of time going through and kind of trying to unlearn it. Um, and so, and I know that there are a lot of first generation students who are trying to unlearn a lot of things that helped them uh, when they were at home as well. And so it could be anything from unlearning uh, stigma about mental health to unlearning um, how they acted um, when they were food insecure and kind of realizing that there are resources available for them. And so that can create a lot of extra issues. Um, so it's definitely something that we always, uh, we as in myself and other first generation students, especially upperclassmen, try to keep an eye out for um, when students are coming in because those kind of issues are very deep rooted. They need a lot of support and love and care. And if they don't receive that, the issue can only get worse. And like you said, while those behaviors may have helped them in the past because they were able to get stuff done and everything, um, everybody, everybody has a limit as to what they can do on their own. And at some point you have to 
reach out and ask for help and know that if you're asking your professor for an extension, it's not creating a burden for your professor. If you are reaching out to resources that are there for you, you're not, you're not stressing anybody out. Um, and that's, that's difficult to unravel. Yeah. And I definitely hit the breaking point um, is uh, about November in my first year fall. Um, I went in to my meeting with my academic success coach at OAS, uh, Mr. James Fujimura, and he was a grad student at the time. And I just broke down. I, I broke down. I was like, this is everything that's happening and I can't keep going on like this. And he actually walked me over from classroom building 105, which is technically off campus. He walked me to Peabody where the um, emergency uh, or the crisis center for uh, the CWC is. I got an emergency appointment and he sat there for my entire appointment for an hour, over an hour. He sat there and made sure and he walked me. He was like, are you sure you're okay? And that was when I really realized it's like, oh, there are people here for me and I should take advantage of the different resources that I have because it's not taking advantage, it's utilizing what's there for me. So we're about at the end of our time together. Katie, what is something, what is one thing you would want first-gen students to know? Either students that are already established here at UF or maybe incoming students? Um, that it's never too late to uh, explore and take pride in their first-generation identity. Um, a lot of upperclassmen that I've spoken to, including uh, my previous author, Val, that I spoke about at the beginning, she said her number one regret because she was an incoming senior when we met, um, she said her number one regret was not utilizing the resources for first-generation students and joining things for first-generation students. And so I think the biggest thing I want to say is that it's not too late. Um, and there are a lot of people don't realize there are a lot of first-generation professors and students and staff members and uh, we are lucky to go to a university that takes great pride in their first-generation students, um, as is evident for, uh, that I get to come speak on this, and then it's a topic, that, uh, and it's something that we really value here at UF. And so I think the biggest thing is it's never too late, um, and there are, is a group of people here to support you. Um, you simply just have to reach out and let us know that you would like to join us or that you are looking for some help or some mentorship. And uh, that is something that, especially within the first generation community, um, we really value because we understand the importance of having someone there uh, from the first step or the last step. Um, they're always there for you. That's great. Well, Thank you so much, Katie. I really appreciate having you here and you sharing so much of your experiences and talking about all of the different resources that students can access. And um, I think this will be really helpful to any other first-generation students listening to the podcast.
Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. You can find CWC Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Please leave us a rating and review us. Email us at cwc-talks at ufl.edu with your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Show notes, resources, and more can be found at counseling.ufl.edu slash cwctalks.